What happens when customer 2.0 meets sales 2.0? And how can you profit from that shift? We'll find out on this episode of Shift Shapers. Change either paralyzes or energizes. The choice is yours. You're listening to the Shift Shapers podcast. You're about to learn firsthand from businesses and entrepreneurs who have successfully shaped the shifts in their industries. Get ready to become the change that you want to see. Here's your host and chief transformation strategist, David Saltzman. This episode of Shift Shapers is sponsored by MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions for benefit advisors. Local, regional, and national advisors rely on this affordable, easy-to-use, real-time search engine to find their target prospects. For more information, visit our website at www.shiftshapersonline.com. Today we're talking with Ryan Penny. Ryan is Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Penny Insurance Center, and he's an expert innovator and expert at using technology to do two things that we all need to do in our practices. One is to drive insurance business, and the other is to shorten sales cycles. So I'm sure we're going to have a very instructive and interesting discussion. With that, welcome, Ryan. Thank you, David, for having me on today. appreciate it. We appreciate you being here. Now, you're a second-generation insurance guy. How did you get into the business? You know, it's a, kind of a, a weird story, I guess, in that I never wanted to be in the insurance industry. And I think for a lot of second generations, that's probably true. But in 2001, my father actually started selling insurance over the internet at the very end of 2001. And I found that very appealing just from a perspective of that I had been involved in sales and also involved in technology for many years. And so for me, I really liked the idea of being able to sell a product that really I'd grown up with and using you know, the sales techniques I had learned other places, as well as the technology that I was familiar with to be able to do that. And so I joined the practice right at the very beginning of 2004 and uh, basically have never looked back. It's been great. Now, by way of disclosure, you do most of your practicing on the life side. And I know the, the majority of our audience are benefit advisors, although I know there are some life producers and some crossover folks. But this product of being behind the eight ball on technology is really product agnostic, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And I, I think it's not just product agnostic. I almost think it's industry agnostic. I mean, there's if you look at other industries outside of financial services and insurance, you can always find segments where people have fallen behind. And maybe the advantage that we have in the insurance industry is that the entire industry is behind and no one's really jumped out in front and, and created a big enough gap that basically eliminates the competitors that are out there. But we have seen that in other industries like music, for example, where, you know, just a few years ago, you would go to a store and buy music face to face from somebody sitting in the store and you know having music on in the background. And today we almost exclusively buy music uh, from iTunes or, or similar services. And the in our industry, someone else will figure it out and come along and eat us all up. Um, absolutely. I mean, same thing with go find a blockbuster store that has anything in it except dust and cobwebs today. I mean, it's it's that that whole shift has happened. So from your perspective, how bad is it? How far behind is our industry? Well, you know, I, I travel fairly often and I get out to a lot of different conferences. And, and one of the things I try to do specifically is go to conferences outside of our industry. So I go to a lot of things related to marketing the, and using the Internet 
And I think from, from that perspective, we're probably a decade behind. We may even be further behind than that. But it's a kind of a compounding problem because every year or every you know, kind of iteration of technology that we go, we get further and further behind. And the cost to catch up it becomes kind of exponential and concern. Uh, a good example of this is many people are familiar that Allstate sells insurance, obviously, and Allstate in, in like 2003, 2004 kind of made a conscientious decision not to get into the internet marketing space. They thought it wasn't really lucrative at the time, and so they didn't do it. Fast forward about a decade, and they had to buy another company, which is eSurance and White Mountain Holdings, and they spent over a billion dollars to catch up. And so when you think about it from that perspective, it was a really expensive mistake that they decided not to get in and get, get going right away. Now, when we talk about technology, one of the things that we ought to caution about is we're not so much talking about devices, are we? We're talking about broader concepts and broader implementations. Yeah, very much so. Devices, you know, kind of come and go, whether it's the, the newest whiz-bang thing from Apple or Samsung or somebody else, doesn't really matter. The technology is really more broad in that you have to be utilizing certain types of technology. doesn't necessarily um, come down to one specific device or one specific software solution. And we'll talk about that as we go along. But dialing back into the history, would it be fair to say that a lot of this shift started happening around the same time as the dot-com bubble? Yeah, very much so. I mean, really, the, the Internet is the catalyst that has changed the marketing world substantially, you know, consumers really have gone through an iteration where they buy in a totally different fashion. And what it's really done and is created um, what a lot of the marketing world refers to as, as customer 2.0. And as soon as you have customer 2.0, now you have to figure out how to, to create what amounts to sales 2.0, this new way of, of interacting with this virtual client and it's really becoming an issue, especially with the younger people who are what the, the marketing world and the technology world refer to as digital natives, somebody who's grown up with technology their whole lives. I mean, you're a little older than I am, David, but my first computer, I, I wanted one when I was 12. And that was kind of the first iteration of home computers that you could get. And so although I didn't grow up with them from day one, it was pretty close for me. But for most people, especially like my, my dad's generation, you know, computers, he'd been in the business for 20 years before computers really became a thing that was important or necessary. But for the baby boomers, you know, that's true. But for the tail end of Gen X and all of Gen Y, the millennials, they've grown up with technology since they were, you know, since they were little babies, they've had it the whole time. And so they're really digital natives and very comfortable working in that medium. We were talking off air uh, and you told me a really interesting story about, we'll go back to talking about how your dad, you know, used to do business. And would you share that with the audience? Because it, it, I know that there are a lot of people out there who have practices, even though they probably won't admit to it, who are still doing either the same thing or something pretty similar. Sure. You know, when, when we started in the internet space, I mean, we really just took the same practices and best ways of doing things that we had been doing before. And it really was all manual. It was paper. And so in January of 2002 was really when we kind of flicked the switch in our direct marketing area. And we got over a thousand requests for life insurance that very first month in January of 2002. And as you can imagine, it was way more than we thought. And we had no idea what to do with all these leads and kind of all hands on deck, which is a great problem to have. But what we identified very quickly was that we needed a way to effectively distribute the leads to our salespeople internally 
And so he actually had to kind of go back to an old school process of color coded paper and printing them out based on, you know, some different factors like how old the client was, or maybe the amount of insurance they were asking for different kind of products, for example. And we color coded them and they would be distributed multiple times a day. I think to a lot of people, we would look at that today as being antiquated. But as you mentioned, there are still people who are using what amounts to the same technology, very manual processes to distribute leads or information and very manual processes to process an application or get it to the carrier. Yeah, I had a friend whose agency was not even just a couple of years ago, very well connected and not terribly technologically improved. And he used to delight in saying that they distributed stuff via sneaker net. They just put on their sneakers and kind of walked around the office just like you guys did. Yeah, it's funny. I actually just had a conversation with a a top of the table member who I know through MDRT and had the opportunity to kind of discuss what their business is. And he was mentioning how the GA that he works with, that they literally drive applications across town and drop them off. And I kind of made the comment of like, why would you do that? That seems really wasteful from a time perspective. And his response was one that I think is common. And and I think when he said it, as soon as he said it, he realized, huh, I should probably rethink that. But his comment was, well, we've always done it that way. And so, you know, I challenged him to maybe think about how he could get that application over there a little easier, whether it was, you know, scanning it and emailing it or using some sort of e-application setup that's available today. Yeah, it is hard to imagine that there are still some offices where the most technologically advanced thing is an old-fashioned paper fax machine, but indeed it's out there. So let's kind of fast forward a little bit. I was reading an article in the press yesterday, and I think it it was Limra-sponsored, that talked about life sales in China and vast increase over the last two years in sales either being initiated or made on the internet in China. When you came into the business and and there was a little bit of selling going on in the internet, what do the numbers look like? And do you know what they look like today? You know, it's a great question. And Limra has been very good at trying to quantify this over the years. And when we kind of started this in 2002, they did their internet marketing study here in the United States. And I think at the time they they were right at about 2% of all sales and transactions being made, you know, through that internet medium, which it's probably not very surprising. I mean, 2% was, was, is a small number, but I don't know if you've ever read The Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell, but he talks about basically that that 2% number is where you typically get that catastrophic growth or that you know kind of runaway growth. And, and I think we've seen that. The last numbers I saw from Limra were that over 30% of all life insurance transactions take place online. And I know that for other industries like health insurance, it's, it's as high as 90% or more now. We're starting to see that a lot with things like investments as well. Even disability and long-term care insurance has a huge growth in that market space. And I think there's there's one thing to kind of put a, as a caveat with those numbers is that Limra, um, rightly so, acknowledges that they are only really referring to the business that is being reported by either the insurance companies themselves or by the distribution channels as, as coming from the internet. And so for many producers out there, they're buying leads that were generated online, but then kind of transitioning it to a more of a face-to-face sell. So you could even argue there that with that initial inquiry coming online, that that number is a lot higher than the 30%, probably somewhere in the 50 or 60% range. Wow. Wow. And I suspect that that number will only continue to increase. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it. I think for sure that that's the case. Um, and again, you know, Limera even talks about kind of consumer sentiment, and 
you know, just a handful of years ago, it was very much skewed to people wanting to meet face to face. The last numbers I saw from Limra were about a third, a third and a third, meaning that a third only wanted to meet face to face with their advisor. A third only wanted to do it as an online or virtual transaction. And kind of the third in the middle were agnostic. They didn't really care. They wanted whatever process was the most convenient for them. So that means that you really have a market space that two thirds of your potential customers are willing and wanting to buy online. And now a word from our sponsor, MyEdge, the premier provider of Form 5500 prospecting solutions for benefit advisors. Do you want to find prospects in your area without having to make cold calls, but with a warm introduction from a network relationship or the prospect's accounting firm? How about finding companies that are out of compliance on their Form 5500 filing? What if you could find prospects that are paying more than standard compensation for their products and services? MyEdge makes it easy to create a pipeline of only qualified leads, and you'll set yourself apart from the crowd when you know how to build a targeted value-add strategy for companies you want to work with. Clients and prospects always appreciate it when their benefit advisors take the time to understand their employee benefits before they meet. Don't act and sound like everyone else. Use MyEdge and get the ultimate unfair advantage. To learn more about this innovative prospecting solution, visit our website, at www.shiftshapersonline.com. So let's talk a little bit about tools and then we can follow up with some best practices and what those mean. What set of tools does does an advisor need to have in their arsenal in order to do business electronically to compete and to change that kind of sales cycle and shorten it and change the funnel and all of those pieces that go into making a sale? You know, I think that the the biggest one today is having the ability to simplify the application process, which is where there's a lot of mistakes, especially on the life insurance side of the world. And so e-applications, e-signature are two really big tools that are needed. Some of the companies, the insurance companies themselves have come out with solutions, but really you need a multi-carrier platform that allows for you to um, submit a single you know, application ticket, if you will, to multiple companies and, and have it completed over the phone and signed electronically. That's probably number one. Number two is a way to really keep track of all your data. And I think as time goes that that one will actually become the most important because we're seeing a huge opportunity in the ability to mine data of existing clientele for new sales opportunities. Basically, what people in the benefits world and even in the property and casualty world probably would best identify as account rounding, where they're going out and adding those additional products and filling kind of the boxes for all the different services that they potentially offer. Um, there's a huge opportunity by having a good data management system. Most people today would refer to that as like a customer um, relationship management tool or a CRM tool. That's really, really critical. And then, you know, you really need something that can help you market electronically. And some CRMs can do this, but you basically need some sort of drip marketing system where you can send out emails, text messages, you know, social media posts, whatever it happens to be to effectively engage with and communicate with your your clients and prospects. So how does this change the sales funnel? What, is, what does the sales funnel look like now versus what it used to look like? I don't know that it necessarily looks different, but I think we have to think about it differently. You know, there's still marketing on the front end, kind of needs analysis and qualifying in the middle, a sell made at the end. And then for us in the insurance industry, you know, after we make a sale, we still have to make the sale a couple more times because of underwriting and, and then actually delivering the policy on the back end. 
But there's really two pieces of the funnel that I think have become significantly more important. One is the top end of the funnel where you're looking at the marketing aspects of things. We really have to do a better job of, of, of educating the consumer. There's a big research study a couple of years ago by Forrester's Research that basically said that of 84% of the consumers that you talk to today that you know may have said they were interested in buying a specific product or service and then ultimately don't buy at the time, 84% of them will buy the exact product or service you showed them in the next 24 months. The hard part of that, though, is, is that they're going to buy that from you or your competitor. It just happens to be whoever's in front of them at the time. So you may have done a great job educating them and you're going to lose that sale because you're not continuing to stay in front of them with a, you know some sort of coordinated marketing effort. And on the back end, we're seeing a huge opportunity with moving customers. We kind of brand everyone in our office as customers, clients, and advocates. And so what we look at that is, is if they're a one-time purchaser, if they only have one policy with us, they're just a customer. They're just like any other you know, retail customer. If they've purchased two or more products or services from us, then we look at them as being clients because they're repeat business. And ultimately, we try to convert everyone to clients. And then we also look at what we call advocates, people who are either out there promoting us or sending us referrals, or I think most people probably would maybe term them as their A clients, so the ones that you want to replicate. And so we do a really good job of trying to identify those and nurture those as well through other you know, marketing efforts on the back end. And by doing those two things, we find that it really speeds up that middle of the process which is the time that we spend in underwriting and doing applications because they already know why they're buying the product or service. They already know what they're trying to accomplish because we've educated them on the front end. And so there's a very low dropout rate through the application process. We've got just a couple of minutes left in, in our time, and I'm always interested in, in all of our shift shapers and what their vision is. So in terms of the conversation we're having today, in terms of technology and best practices within an agency, where do you see us going in the short and then maybe the longer term? What, what do you see that evolution looking like? I'm going to answer that question two ways. The first, I'm going to say that, you know, we really need have a need in our industry. And, and we this is kind of our mantra in our office to standardize, systematize and automate the way we approach what we do. And the better we are at that, the more successful we will be. And directly to answer your question as you look at the future, we're going to get more and more automated everywhere else. It's already easy to buy things online and have them instantly delivered. Major companies like Amazon are already trying to figure out how to deliver a product that you ordered today to you today. In a couple of examples, they've talked about you know using drones to deliver packages. In New York City, they're um, testing out and practicing kind of the methodology of using taxi drivers, taxi cab drivers to deliver products to consumers. So if you think about how the rest of the world is speeding up the sales and delivery cycle, we really have to do that. And if we don't do it ourselves, then our industry really is is facing an opportunity for an outside force to come in and, and replace us because they do it better and faster. And so when I kind of look at the future, you know, my goal every day is to come in here and figure out how we can be more efficient and more effective at what we do and how we can uh, reach the consumer in a more effective manner. Because if I don't, I'm worried that somebody like Costco or Facebook or, or even Google may choose to do so. And if they come into our industry, there's not a single person here who, who can match them dollar for dollar or technology or anything else. And so we really need to keep them out of our industry by getting better at what we do. And that really comes down to, again, 
standardizing, systematizing, and automating our processes, both at the agency and agent level, as well as at the carrier and vendor level. Great advice and a good goal to work toward. Ryan Penny, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Penny Insurance Center. Ryan, thank you so much for spending time with the Shift Shapers audience and sharing your insights on technology and how it's going to continue to be more important as we go along and we grow as an industry. Thank you, David, for having me, and I appreciate it. For more information about this episode or about any of our earlier episodes and to learn how to subscribe on iTunes so you never miss an episode, go to our website, shiftshapersonline.com. While you're on the site, leave a comment and register to be part of the Shapers community. You'll be the first to learn about upcoming specials like exclusive webinars and content you can use to take your business to the next level. Again, thanks for joining us for today's episode. And remember, you have the power to shape the shifts in your business.